Well, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to Desert Church. Maybe you're here visiting your family. And my name is Blake. I'm the lead pastor, and I am—I would love to get to meet you, or I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. And one thing that we do that uh, we—the the best way to do that is to grab a Connect card. You can come up afterwards, say hi to me, introduce yourself. But I would love to get your name and your phone number so I can reach out or or your email address. So we have Connect cards in the box in the offering box by the door, by both doors, and at the Connect table. Just put your name and your email and your phone number there. And I'd love to invite you to a grow class that happens on the second Sunday of every month. And it's an opportunity for you and I to get to know one another and for you to hear a little bit about the mission and the vision of our church. And so uh, welcome, welcome. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about generosity. Does everybody get their, uh, their handout? Now, uh, we're going to be talking about generosity, contentment, and money. And if you're new to the church this morning, this is the first message in two years since being here, I came, I came here two years ago. It's the first message since I've been here. In fact, this is probably the first message I've ever preached regarding generosity and giving. But believe me, it won't be the last message on generosity that I preach. And, and for those of you who are new, I want you to hear me out before you reach for your car keys and start walking out the door. Because I realize that talking about money in church has some hurdles. It has its hurdles. Many extravagant ministries in our country, they put a, a bitter taste in people's mouths uh, and cause them to think one of three things. Number one, there's a lot of people in our community that, that believe that the church is only out to get your money. That I went to church and the pastor just talked about giving. Welcome to Desert Church. I'm so glad that you're here. But there's this idea that the church is only out to get your money. The second hurdle that we have to overcome is that... Uh, uh, a lot of people think that the way that I use my money has nothing to do with my relationship with God. Wh- why are we talking about money in church? It has nothing to do about my personal relationship with God. And the third hurdle that we have to overcome is there's a lot of people, even Christians, who believe that tithing was only for the Old Testament. And people oftentimes get offended when the church tells them that they should be practicing generosity or they should be tithing. But here's what I want to say. I might step on a few toes this morning. I might offend a few people. But I think offending a few people is worth the cost of bringing freedom to many people. Because this message will free you if you receive it with your heart. Uh, I'm talking about money not because God needs your money. Or the church needs your money. That's not true at all. In fact, our church is doing great financially. I don't think uh, we've, been, we've done any better financially than we are right now. We have a generous church. Our church has a healthy budget. We have a healthy bank account. In fact, at the beginning of every year, in January of every year, every person in our church gets a full annual report with uh, how much money we have in the bank, where each dollar is being spent. And so we are very transparent about our finances. And uh, if, if anybody at any point wanted to know uh, where their money is going, I have, a, I have a spreadsheet that I can show them. I have a, an annual report that I can show them. And so our, our, our church is doing very well financially. And I'm not talking about generosity to get today because the church needs your money. I'm talking about money this morning because I genuinely believe that God doesn't want generosity from you. He wants generosity for you. He wants you to experience a life of generosity and the freedom that it brings. And so if you're taking notes on your handout, that's the first point. God does not want generosity from you. He wants generosity for you. I love what Kenton Bashore, he's the um, 
pastor of Mariner's Church and wrote the curriculum Rooted. He says this. He says, giving is not God's way of raising money. It's his way. Thank you. It's his way of raising people with surrendered hearts. Giving is an extension of our worship. Did you know that Jesus taught more on money than he taught on faith and that he taught on prayer? In fact, Jesus talked more about money than anything else except for the kingdom of God. He preached a lot about the kingdom of God. But other than that, he talked more about our money than any other subject. Jesus was aware of the power that money has over our lives, that it can help accomplish God's purpose on earth, or money can enslave us. It can, we, we can begin to serve money. And so if you have your Bibles or your phones, open up your app, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And it's going to be on the screen if you don't have it. This is what Jesus said. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Everybody say worry. Yeah. Do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? In the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? That's a, that's a bold statement right there. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, then not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then he says, verse 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We have got money problems in our lives, don't we? Maybe not you, but our culture has money problems. Maybe you're here and you've got money problems. We have trouble. We have worry that comes into our life because of the way that we think about money. Money... Did you know that money is the number one cause of stress in a marriage? All you married people are going, amen, I, I relate to that. I know that. My wife and I, we can relate to it. There's a difference in opinion about saving and spending habits, and it creates tension in a marriage. And problems, they arise due to maybe a, a drastic difference in income between the spouses. And when, when one person makes more money than the other... They may start to feel resentful about the hours they put in at work, or they may also start to think that they have more of a right for the money, you know, and they can spend it however they want. Does any of this sound familiar to any married people in the room? Money is the number one cause of stress in a marriage. We've got money problems. In the first quarter of this year, the average credit card debt of Americans totaled $841 billion. 
The average cardholder has $5,769 in credit card debt. And when we live beyond our means and we go into debt, we are essentially, we're questioning God's provision and promise to provide for us. And maybe you're like me. And I learned this as I was going through this 10-week rooted study with a group of people in our church. And I realized that I can pretty easily trust God for the things that I need. That we live in a, in a, very, uh, in a very blessed country. So I'm not often worried about the clothes on my back or the food on my table. I trust God for the things that I need. But I don't always trust that God is going to give me what I want. Can anybody relate? So I'm going to get that boat. I'm going to purchase that other thing. I'm going to get that new thing. I'm going to, I, God, he might not want me to have this. And I don't trust that he, his, his plans for my life are what's best for me. And so I'm just going to go out and get what I want despite the fact that I might not be able to pay for it. So I put it on the credit card. But when we go into debt, we're essentially questioning God's plan and provision for our life, saying, God, you don't really want to give me what I want. You don't want to give me what I need, so I'm going to take it for myself. And do you see how this is a heart issue? That the way that we spend our money is a heart issue. It's deeply connected to our heart. If we bring it a little closer to home, almost 10% of Grant County earns less than the poverty threshold. Almost 10% of Grant County earns less than the poverty threshold. And sometimes poverty is a result of things that's out of a person's control. I understand that. I understand that sometimes poverty is the result of, of situations and circumstances of medical expenses and things that come up. And it's out of a person's control. But what I want to talk about today is, is this bottom line. is Money can cause us to worry and become discontent and distracts us from what is truly important. And Jesus knew this. And he had a lot to say about money. And so God, in his grace and in his goodness, he teaches us about this very practical thing in the Bible. He teaches us, teaches us about how to wisely spend our money and that we should be generous people. This morning, I'm going to talk about three mindsets on money that we see in the Bible. Three mindsets that we see about money. And the first mindset, if you're taking notes on your handout, is this one. The first mindset is the bag mindset. The bag mindset. And these are people who say, we don't have enough. <clears throat> we don't have enough. We would like to give. We'd like to be generous. But we just don't have enough. And some of you may feel like this. Maybe you relate to this verse in Haggai 1.6. It says, you have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You're cl you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Now imagine yourself holding a bag and you're putting all of your money into it. You're putting all of your resources and there's a hole at the bottom of the bag. And some of you feel like this. You look at your checking account, you look at your bank account, and it just keeps getting drained. There's a hole in the bag, and money keeps falling out of that hole. You've got, you've got kids who are asking you for money, and that's a big hole in the bag, isn't it? You've got car payments. You've got uh, unexpected uh, expenses that happen. Your transmission goes out. Or uh, your HVAC unit, this happened to my wife and I, shortly after we got married, we purchased a new house and suddenly we were having to put in a new HVAC unit for $6,000. It was a hole in the bag and money was falling out of the hole. 
Maybe you have sudden medical expenses. But no matter how hard you try, there's nothing left over. There's too much month at the end of the money. And as much as you would like to be generous, you don't feel like you can. And this is the mindset that I believe a lot of people grew up with. It's the mindset that I grew up with as a child. And it's a scarcity mindset. Some of you might have heard this described as a poverty mindset. That there's just not enough. But those of us who think that way, that there's just not enough, I can't be generous because I don't have enough, your faith is in the bag. It's not in God. Your faith is in the bag. There's someone else in scripture who had a bag mindset, and we can learn a lot from him. His name was Judas, and he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He cared more about what was in the bag than having a relationship with his Savior. See, people don't give their in tithes and offerings in the church because they have a mind, this mindset. They think to themselves, how could I give 10%? I've got bills. My kids are getting ready to go to college. I've got fill in the blank. I've got this expense coming up, and it's a scarcity mindset. It is a bag mindset. I don't have enough. That's the first mindset. The second mindset is called the basket mindset. It's the basket mindset. And this one's much more exciting, I promise you. But this mindset, there are people who trust in God to provide for their every need, and they give freely and cheerfully. Deuteronomy 28, 4 through 6 says this, The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the cows of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Then he says in verse 5, Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you, go, when you come in and blessed when you go out. And this basket is referring to a container that would hold produce. It was a sign of prosperity and the fruit of their land, it says, and the product of their obedience. The basket was a fruit of their labor, their labor, and it was the product of their obedience. And Jesus talked about a basket mindset in Luke 6, 38. He says this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What does that mean? What is Jesus talking about? He says, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. See, Jesus, he's speaking to an audience who understood agriculture. He's speaking to a group of farmers who knew a lot about grain. And I'm pretty sure I'm speaking to a similar crowd this morning, a lot of farmers in the room. But when there was a, a grain harvest, there were two types of people who would fill their basket. Two types of people would fill their basket. The first person was the laborer. And the laborer was the person who was getting paid to gather the grain. They were getting paid to gather grain. And so they might fill the basket part way, right? They would go out and they would just try to do it as fast as they can. And so they would fill the basket. All right, that's good. And they bring it to the storehouse. And that, the laborer was getting paid to do it. So he would fill the basket kind of part way. But then there was a second person who would gather the harvest. And it was the gleaner. And oftentimes the master of the field would be generous and they would allow poor people to come and glean the harvest that the laborers missed. So once the laborers were done, they would leave some things, they missed some things, and the master of the field will, would allow a gleaner to come into the field and gather what was left over and give it to them. And how do you think a gleaner would fill their basket? 
they would press it down. Come on, how many of you have ever filled up a slushie at the gas station before? And you just, you know, you pour it in there, you pack it down, and you put the lid on, and then you fill the lid too. Everybody's, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. But a gleaner would come in, they put their basket down, they press it down, they shake it together, they get all the air bubbles out, they get all the pockets out, and they would just, they would pack it as, as much as they could. And Jesus said, if you're faithful with a little, you can be trusted with a lot. In other words, Jesus says, if you're faithful with what's in the bag, then you'll be faithful with what's in the basket. Be faithful with what's in the bag. And you can be faithful with what's in the basket. There's another story in the Gospels about Jesus and the basket mindset. Jesus was preaching a phenomenal message in, in Matthew. And he's ministering and preaching, and, and his sermon went a little too long. Jesus was kind of long-winded sometimes. And he's got 5,000 people, over 5,000 people there who are hungry with nothing to eat. And this boy... With five loaves of bread and two fish, he comes to Jesus and he offers Jesus his food. And he says, I don't have much, but what I have, you you can have it. It belongs to you. Now imagine if this boy had a bag mindset. There's not enough. Imagine if this boy kept the loaves and the fish to himself and said, this is my lunch. This is supposed to just feed me. I don't have enough to give to everybody else. I don't know how you're going to make this happen, Jesus. But he didn't have a bag mindset. He had a basket mindset. And the boy came to Jesus and he said, this is all I've got. But I'll be faithful with the little that you've given me. And we know what happens. Jesus took the loaves. And guess what? He blessed it. He blessed the little that the boy had. And then he distributed the food and everyone was filled and there were even baskets left over. There were baskets and baskets left over. Everybody had more than enough. Pressed down, packed together, running over. There was more than enough. The bag mindset, the basket mindset, and here's the third mindset. There's the barn mindset. The barn mindset. This is the mindset that believes that God is infinitely more than enough. That he's infinitely more. Not that he has enough resources just to take care of you. But he has unlimited resources. He can do whatever he wants. He owns the world. He, everything is at God's disposal. And it's this barn mindset. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Somebody in the Bible experienced this mindset. His name was Joseph. Joseph experienced this in Egypt. His barns were overflowing and God used Joseph to bless. God blessed Joseph because when Joseph was faithful with the little positions he were given, he was thrown into a pit and he was faithful in the pit. And then he was thrown into a prison, and he was faithful in the prison, and then he was put in a palace, and he was faithful in the palace. And God blessed Joseph because he knew if I bless this man, he's going to bless other people. Do you know that you are blessed to be a blessing? That God blesses you, not for you, he blesses you so that people can see Jesus. He blesses you so you can be a blessing to other people. He wants people to understand his goodness his love, his extravagance, that God blesses you because he wants other people to be blessed. He doesn't want you to hoard it to yourself. 
He doesn't want to make you look good. God is not interested in making you look good. He's not interested in your comfort. He's not interested in your reputation. He's interested in glorifying Jesus. And when he blesses you, it's because you are meant to be a blessing to others. Now, some, of, some people in this room might say, well, pastor, you've been reading from the Old Testament a lot. Generosity is this, this, this idea of tithing, this idea of giving to God. That's such an Old Testament principle. But it's not. Generosity is a new kingdom mindset. It is a, is a kingdom of heaven mindset. It's in the Old Testament, and it's in the New Testament. And tithing is a spiritual principle that we see both in the Old and the New Testament. It's a timeless principle, and it's wisdom for living. God has given us instruction on how to be generous so that it can benefit us, so that we can benefit other people. We are blessed to be a blessing. God put us on earth as stewards of his creation. Did you know that all the money that you have in your checking account is not yours? Now, you might say, I worked hard for my money. But what you have, even your children, your house, your finances, your relationships, it's not yours. It's God's. Your kids are God's children. And you are stewards of what God has given you. You are stewards of the resources that he's given you. That includes your bank account. That includes your money. And if we view our money as ours, then there's only a limited supply. If it's our money, then we only have so much. And we get stuck in a bag mindset. And it's hard to give. But if we view our resources, if we view what we have as God's, then there's an infinite supply. And it's a joy to give. Because what you understand when you're a generous person is that that the Bible promises, and this is not a prosperity message, this is not a name it and claim it, but the Bible promises that when you are generous, God returns it to you. In fact, it's the only place in the Bible, Malachi 3.10 is the only place in the Bible where God challenges us to test him in this. He says, give and see if I won't return it to you tenfold. But we are called to be a blessing to other people and we have to shift our thinking to understand that we are not owners of our money. We are stewards. We are managers of God's money. I really want to see people in our church grow from the bag mindset to the barn mindset. Again, not because our church needs the money. Not because God needs your money. But it's for your benefit. It's for enriching your life. And the only way to grow out of the bag mindset is to give. Is to be generous. And for some of you, that, that might be the first step. Here's an eye-opening eye truth. We, as Americans, we are a people who have barn blessings, but bag mindsets. We have been giving barn. If you, if you compare our country with those around the world, we have barn blessings, but bag mindsets. And imagine if we were able to put those barn blessings to work for the kingdom of heaven. It would set us free in a new way that we've never experienced before. The way to living in contentment is practicing generosity. It's the grace of giving. And we practice the principle of the tithe. Notice that I call it a principle, that it's not a law, right? We were never commanded to give 10%. It's not a law. So if you're here and you're not giving, I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning you. It's a principle. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a piece of wisdom that God has given us to say, if you want to have a more fulfilling, enriching life, 
If you want to be set free from the bag mindset, the scarcity mindset, the poverty mindset, then the solution is to give, is to be generous. But in the Bible, the tithe was never supposed to be all that was given to God. It was supposed to be a starting point. Did you know that? God, he, 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 he never, uh, he, he, he's not only asking for 10%. God doesn't want 10% of your money. He wants all of your money. God wants you to be open-handed, to say, God, you have everything. You, everything, I, everything I possess belongs to you. But the tithe was instituted to help God's people begin to learn how to give and become channels of his blessing. The word tithe literally means a tenth. And giving God one-tenth of what you have, did you know it actually precedes the law? That we see this uh, principle in place in the Bible before the law was even given to Moses. And we see Abraham practice this principle in Genesis 14. Genesis 14, 17 through 20. It says, after Abram returned from defeating Kedorlomer, oh my goodness, Kedorlomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Abram was practicing this principle before the law even came into being. Giving to God isn't an Old Testament thing. It is a kingdom mindset. In fact, God is so confident about this mindset that, as I said before, it's the only place in Scripture where we're allowed to test His goodness in the, is in the area of our finances. Malachi, or excuse me, yeah, Mal, uh, Micah 3.10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me in this. Kingdom giving consists of four things. And this is where... I'm going to close today. I'm going to give you four last things. But kingdom giving consists, number one, of giving consistently. Giving consistently. Practicing generosity consistently. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. What? Paul talks about money? Paul talks about gathering a collection in Scripture? This is so unlike Paul. Now, about the collection for the Lord's... Think about it. Paul relied on the churches. Paul was a missionary. He, he had no other... He, some people think he was a tent maker. He, he might have had a side hustle, but he relied heavily. He, re, he relied heavily on, on churches giving. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money and keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come to co- so when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go, also they will accompany me. 
See, the early church, they relied on consistent giving to support the ministry and tell more people about Jesus. And so Paul was saying, put aside a sum of money. Notice that Paul doesn't say a tenth of your money, but put aside the sum of money that the Lord puts on your heart. It might be less, it might be more, but put aside some money and do it consistently so that when I show up, we don't have to give an additional offering. Giving consistently is the first thing that kingdom giving consists of. Number two, kingdom giving consists of giving abundantly. Abundantly. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Are you starting to see the kingdom connection here? That generosity is connected to uh, to blessing, to blessing for yourself so that you can be a blessing to other people. Number three, kingdom giving consists of giving cheerfully. This is in continuation of the, of the last verse we just read in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We're not supposed to give under compulsion, oh, I feel obligated to do this, or, or uh, I, I don't really want to, because it says, for God loves a cheerful giver, that when we give cheerfully, and, and let's be honest, for, for those of us who might be just starting to give, or maybe you haven't stepped out into generosity yet, it feels, it hurts at first. It's like, oh, this is, I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss this in my bank account. I'm going to feel this. When my wife and I started giving, we felt it. We were like, this money we miss it. But the more that we began to do it, the more that we the more that we did it, the more we realized our attitudes are changing about this. And we became more open-handed. The the last thing, kingdom giving consists of giving sacrificially. As I said, sometimes giving hurts. Sometimes it hurts. And I realize that there are people in this room who are hurting financially. You you have you're stuck in a place where you say I don't know what to do I I don't know how to get out of this hole that I've dug myself in I don't know how to get out of the debt that I've put myself in I've got bills I need to pay and so for you this giving you know do what Paul said give what the Lord puts on your heart because sacrificially. Acts 4.33, it says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. And they brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone who had need. You had people selling their land and their houses, giving sacrificially, giving everything that they had and giving it to the apostles and saying, we, we want to bless the kingdom. We want the, 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 the message of Jesus to be spread. The early church not only gave a tenth, they shared everything because they understood that they were merely stewards of God's possessions. If you don't already give consistently, if you don't already give abundantly or cheerfully, or sacrificially, then I'm asking you to consider sowing into what God is doing at our church. Our vision, if you haven't been to Grow Class or haven't heard me say this before, but our, the vision of our church is to see dry places saturated with the presence of God. 
Dry places saturated with the presence of God. And we're helping to accomplish that by intentionally discipling people in our community. We're, we, we want to disciple people. We don't want people to just come on Sunday, raise their hand. You know, they got the golden ticket. They're going to heaven and then shoo them out the door. No, when people come, we want to disciple them. We want to help them move forward in their journey of spiritual growth. And that word saturated literally means to be filled with so much water that you can't absorb anything else. And we see uh, Paul talk about this in Ephesians, that his desire was people to be filled with all the fullness of God. And our hearts, our, our hearts desire at our church, our vision is to see people filled with so much of the Holy Spirit, saturated with the Holy Spirit, that there's no room left. We want to see them discipled, to be changed. I've been a Christian my entire life. And in all of these years that I've been a Christian, I've never once heard someone who tithes say, I wish I didn't tithe. Oh, I really wish I didn't tithe. Oftentimes, when the people who tithe, they say, I wish I could give more. I wish I could, I wish I could give more. And the people that have a, the hardest time with these kinds of messages are the ones who aren't tithing. Because they haven't experienced that generosity that comes from giving my wife and I, we started tithing shortly after we got married. And uh, we have personally experienced the provision and blessing of God in our lives as we have been consistent in our giving and abundant and cheerful and sacrificial. And, and our, our seasons uh, have changed uh, as we have been married. I remember when we first got married, my wife had a very different perspective on tithing. And I, I was actually approached by my former pastor. It was when I was a, a youth pastor. I was in youth ministry at the time. And he came up to me and he goes, hey, um, Blake, are you tithing? And I was like kind of offended. Why would you ask me that? That's none of your business. Get your nose out of my business, you know. And I said, you know, 20 bucks here, 10 bucks here, you know, whenever I can. And he goes, no, are you, are you tithing consistently? I said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, you're on staff at a church and we're encouraging other people to, to be generous. And if you're not being generous, then like what, you know, do you see the problem in that? And I felt convicted, you know, and I was like, oh man, I went home and I was just wrestling with it because I was like, man, that was irritating of him to bring that up to me. And I went to my wife and I was like, Hey, you know, babe, I'm thinking maybe we should start tithing. I was feeling the conviction of the Lord. And she's like, well, I don't know. Like we don't really have enough <laughs> because in my wife's family, they, they grew up thinking that if you had any student debt, if you had a mortgage, if you had any debt at all, any credit card debt, then the money that you had was not your own. You had to first pay off your debts before you could start giving. And so she was like, no, I don't think we should start tithing until we get out of debt, until we pay off our house. And, you know, that's like years down the road. And I go, well, I, I kind of want to challenge you on that because I, I don't feel like that's what we should be doing. I feel like we should start giving now. And so she prayed about it, and a couple of weeks went by, and she goes, yeah, you're right. I think, I think you're right. We need to start giving. And so we started just giving, you know, the bare minimum. We just were like, okay, 10% of our net income, and it hurt. We were missing that money. But as we began to continue giving consistently, I felt the Lord say, no, I don't want 10% of your net income. I want you to tithe on your gross income now. I want, I want my giving, I want the giving that you give to me come before you give in your taxes to the government. <laughs> okay, and so we began giving 10% of our gross income. And then a few years went by, and I said, babe, I feel like we should take on a few missionaries, and we should start giving to some missionaries, and we should start giving more. And so the more, and the, the more that we've given, the more our hearts have expanded 
and we've got four kids. Mind you, we started giving before we had any kids. And as we've added a child to our family, the expenses, the expenses have also added up. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. But God, with every single one of our kids that have come into our life, God has been so good to us. We've never been in want. We've, we've, God has blessed us. He's blessed us with, uh, with a generous church who, who comes and, and, and many of you have given gifts to my wife and I during Christmas when we first got here. We felt so blessed when we came here. But the point of it is this, is that we have noticed a change in our hearts. That the more that we gave, the more we sensed a joy about it. That it wasn't a burden. It wasn't, oh, I wish I didn't give. I wish I had that money for myself. But instead it became a joy. And now we find ourselves ready to give more willingly when we see a need. When somebody comes to us and they need help, we're more able to just reach out and give because we don't have a mindset that says, I don't have enough. Instead, we are trying to step into a, a barn mindset that says, God, you have infinite resources. And you, I want to be a channel for your blessing. I want you to, to, to use me as I'm faithful with what you've given me. As I give out of what you've given me, Lord, I want you to, to bless me so that I can be a blessing to other people. If you're visiting today, I want you to know that there is absolutely no pressure for you to give. This is a family talk, okay? This is a family conversation. But if you consider this your church home, I want you to know that the money you give is being wisely invested into what God is doing at Desert Church. We have an amazing church council that is generous and responsible. Our church council is in charge of the stewardship of our church. And like I said before, we believe in transparency, which is why every January we have this annual report and we, we lay out a budget at the beginning of the year and we, we designate how much money we're going to spend, be spending in each category and we discuss as a council where that money is going to, what missionaries we're giving to, what projects we're going to take on in our community. And so know that every time you give to this church, your money is being wisely invested into building the kingdom of God in our community and to furthering the vision of our church to see dry places saturated with the presence of God. I want to close in prayer. Would you stand with me, church, as we, as we close together? I would like us to pray that God would give us barn mindsets and generous hearts that desire to bless others. So if you would, would you just put your hands out as if you're going to receive something? Heavenly Father, I pray over every person in this room. Lord, I pray for the ones who are here, and maybe they realize this morning that they have bag mindsets. They say, I don't have enough. Lord, I, I thank you for the generosity that you've placed in every single one of us, that there is a desire to give. There is a desire to be a blessing. And Lord, we know that we... Uh, that it's not an overnight thing. But as we're faithful with the little that we have, you multiply it. So, Father, we ask that we would be faithful. You would show us, give us opportunities to be faithful. And help us trust in you. Help us trust fully that you are our provider. God, that you know the desires of our heart. That not only, you, not only are you going to take care of our basic needs, but you know the desires of our heart. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is that's not good for you. But God, you know what's best for our lives, and we trust you in that. So give us all barn mindsets in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. And everybody said...
Amen. God bless you, church.